Well, this summer, we're studying the word love. And I noticed this week that the word love is trying to do a lot of different jobs in our culture all at the same time. That we can use the word love in many different contexts and give it many different meanings and many different jobs. And so the word love has the job of describing affection between two people. Two people that are in love. Love has that job to describe that affection. Love has the job of describing how we may feel about ice cream or cake following the service today. It has that job to describe how we like, what foods we like and what we like in life. Love has the job of describing how we may feel about our country. Love is the job of describing physical intimacy between two people. Love has the job meaning tolerance in our culture today. Love has the job of saying something that we just highly value. Whether it's, I love going to this place, or I love having this inside my house. The word love has a lot of different jobs in our culture. So it's no wonder when we come to the scriptures and we hear about love, we may say, oh, what love? What job is love talking about in the scriptures. Even the other night I saw on TV someone made a speech and said, we are going to make America loving again. And I thought to myself, okay, but what job are we giving love? What job of love are we referring to? That the word love is used a lot and everyone at different times wants to give it a different job. And the scriptures tell us that love never fails. Well, if love never fails, then what love never fails? Our love for ice cream job or our love for others job? What job of love never fails? If nothing can separate us from the love of God, we need to have a more definitive definition of love. Otherwise, it's just vague and we choose which one of the many jobs that we give love that fit with that particular moment in life. And it was the same for Paul when he wrote 1 Corinthians 13. There are other words for love. There was philos and eros and agape. And so what did Paul do? What did John do? What did Peter do? Is they looked at the person of Jesus Christ. Instead, instead of giving love the job of all the things in this world that we want to give it, we're going to describe love and we're going to give it the job of living how Jesus lived. And so they looked at Jesus and Jesus' way of life and Jesus' character and said, if we describe love like Jesus, it makes it more concrete. If we describe love like Jesus, now we have certain character issues that we can point to and grow into. And as Paul begins to describe Jesus, a concrete definition of love is formed. And the further that we get away from Jesus, the more likely we are to describe love with a whole bunch of different jobs. And the closer we get towards Jesus, the more concrete love becomes for us, and we can begin to grow in that. So 1 Corinthians 13 is not just Paul describing, oh, this is the way that friends or married people should love each other, but really describing Jesus. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no records of wrongs. Jesus 
does not delight in evil, but Jesus rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects. Jesus always trusts. Jesus always hopes. Jesus always perseveres. So love, we can give it a thousand different jobs in our culture to describe ice cream, relationships, food, where we like to go on vacation, but it's all kind of vague definitions. Love gets more concrete the closer we get to the person of Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to focus on love is not proud. And if you're going to do a little bit more of a literal translation of this text, we could translate it that love is not puffed up or love is not inflated. And my favorite translation is is that love is not a self-inflated windbag. You've never met anybody like that, have you? Someone that, oh, I want to talk about my high school successes in sports again, or want to go over kind of what's happening in my career. That sense that we need to talk about ourselves to inflate what's happening in us so that others will see the value in our lives. In my family, in a Swedish family, we were learned not to do that. Like, we didn't draw attention to ourselves. We My mom made sure we never bragged about accomplishments. When I go somewhere, I want to know the color of the room so I can wear similar clothing and just blend in with the wall. I want no attention on me whatsoever. But at some point, we do want to be affirmed. It's within the human heart to be valued, to receive accolades when we do something well. It's within the human spirit to be valued in this world And here's the thing is that we cannot self-manufacture our own value. That we cannot, through our self-inflating words, self-manufacture that we are love. Love must always come from the outside, from another source, from God, from others. But at times in our desperation to be recognized and to be loved, we may want to inflate ourselves a little bit. To prove to people that we are valuable and that we are loved. So, a little story in the book of Ecclesiastes in 9.4. And it's a story that will bug you as it bugs me. And Solomon writes, he says, There was once a small city with only a few people in it. And a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Now, there lived in that city... A man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are no longer heeded. And here's why the story bothers me. Because here's this man that saved a whole city and no one remembers his name. That he accomplished something great, but there's no statue for him. There's no song for him. I know when I wash the dishes and dry the dishes and put them away at night, like I want a song in my name. I want a statue that I accomplished that great work. And here's this man who does this great thing of service to others, but remains in obscurity. And maybe this is why Solomon calls the man wise, not so much that he saved the city, But maybe the man is wise because he realized that life was about service and sacrifice for the good of others. That this man 
could have had probably great statues and great songs and great honor, great value from, he could have inflated himself in the midst of that victory. But the man is wise and realized that his value and his love was not going to come from inflating himself. His value was going to come from service to others. And it seems so counterintuitive. The world around us says that if I can inflate myself, turn the spotlight on me, get the respect and the attention of others, that's where greatness comes. And yet Jesus tells a very different way. Greatness will come from service to others. Greatness will flow as you lift others up. Greatness will come as you inflate those around you. Greatness comes not because of your status or the resources that you have self-manufactured, but by how you put those resources and status to use to serve those around you. And the scriptures give us a warning about inflating ourselves. The scriptures say in Proverbs 16:8 that pride goes before destruction, that inflating yourself goes before destruction, because sometime at some point the pin's gonna come and kind of like cause the deflating of all the inflating that we did. I think the proprietor of Proverbs also realizes that it's exhausting to inflate ourselves. It's exhausting work to convince people of things that are not true about ourselves. That we know the truth. We know what's on the inside, what's eating at us. And yet we don't want anyone else to see so that we can inflate life and manage other people's perceptions of who we are. It's exhausting work. And it brings great stress on us for fear that someone is going to start to see the cracks that we have been trying to cover up. Jesus tells a parable of someone trying to cover up the cracks and another person who's trying to inflate themselves before God. He says this, he says, two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I, am so, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I have. So the man comes before God and it's just kind of this self-inflating exercise. I'm going to manage how God thinks about me, how God sees me by telling God all the things that I'm not and all the things that I am. And then he says in And then the story goes on, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be be exalted. The Pharisee was never going to see any progress in his life with God if he just kept inflating himself before God. The Pharisee inflated himself and left no room for God. He left no room for others because he kind of kept puffing himself up. The tax collector would thrive in his life with God because he was honest before God. He prayed, God, when I come to you, I'm not here to inflate myself. I'm here to be honest with you And let you fill me up. Humility allows God to change us. 
Pride will always be pushing God away. Pride will never allow God to be the God of our lives. When our focus is on inflating ourselves before others and before God, we will never get to that place of openness and sacrifice to love God or to love those around us. And what's amazing is it's actually a choice that we get to make. We get to make the choice of what we inflate, what we build up, either ourselves or those around us. We have a choice of how we use our resources and how we use our status, whether for our own good or for the good of others. In the 1930s, three young men got on a bus in Detroit and they tried to pick a fight with a man who was sitting at the back of the vehicle. And they insulted him and yelled at him and the whole time the stranger said nothing. And eventually the stranger stood up and he was bigger than what they thought. And he reached into his pocket and handed him a card that said, Joe Lewis, boxer. And, yeah, not good. That they had tried to pick a fight with the man who would be a world champion of the boxing world from 1937 to 1949. And here's someone of great power and great skill with a single blow. He could have showed him how powerful, how much status he really had. And yet in that moment, he forgoes his status. He holds his power from the others. In a way, he serves by not exerting his power in that particular moment. He served by not inflating himself in that moment and going after those of lesser status. Love is not being a self-inflated windbag. Love is giving ourselves for the good of others because that's what God did for us. The way to live this way and love this way is to grow in our greater understanding of God's love for us. And that's why we need this table every month. It's we are reminded that as John pointed to the last week of Jesus' life, it said, and now Jesus showed us the full extent of his love. Not just at the supper we were washed feet, not just at the supper where he served communion. He'd show us the full extent of his love by giving his life on the cross, the full extent of his love of being resurrected from the dead, the full extent of his love of not like holding it over the disciples' heads when they left him on the cross after he was resurrected, the full extent of his love that Jesus would teach them everything before he ascended into heaven. And the love expressed at this table, the love expressed in Jesus on the cross, the love expressed through Jesus' resurrection, it is for all of us. And nobody is excluded or outside of the love of God. And it is through the love of God for everyone that we can then choose to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and attend Jesus' school of love. That's really what we're here for. We're here in this world to encounter Jesus and go to Jesus' school of love, that we may learn how to love in the concrete, tangible ways that Jesus loved.